This week, we hear from an extremely online person who has taken the old school route of writing a book. Plus, we catch up on some other innovation news before heading into the holiday break. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Hi, Faiza. I'm wondering uh, today what your relationship is with business books. Are they, is that like part of your regular reading diet? So I love nonfiction books, often in the form of uh, business books. But I find that over, since the pandemic started, I've kind of uh, decreased, it's harder to get my attention with a good business book is, is kind of what's happened. So I've lowered the ratio of business to non-business, but I do definitely read them and I enjoy some of them quite a bit. I uh, I came to business books definitely late in life. Uh, I did never read them in my youth. Um, started reading them a little bit when I got into uh, entrepreneurship, but it's not my favorite genre. Uh, if if I'm gonna take one in, it's probably going to be more likely through an audiobook to, than uh, than than reading it. But there are a few that I that I like. Um, is there one or a few that you find yourself going back to or recommending to others? Yeah, I recommend ones that are always written in a story form. And I think that's because I love fiction so much that, um, you know, sim- similar to you, like there's certain things I prefer over audio. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and I often find that business books could have been written in a blog post and yeah. there's way too many pages. But the ones that I go back to are always the ones with a good story. And so the Three uh, that each talk about something a little bit different is uh, Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, the ex and now uh, current again CEO (laughs) of Disney. Um, And then Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. And then Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard about his story of how he founded Patagonia. Those are are kind Uh of my three favorite when it comes to... um, inspiration and things that are a bit less tangible. But then when I'm looking for something that is really helping me remind myself of how how to do brand building and marketing, uh, then it's always Story Brand by Donald Miller, because that one's a bit more textbooky with some good examples. So I, I feel like that's very helpful. Mm. I find myself gravitating a little bit more, maybe because I get my story from something else, I gravitate to the more instructional ones. So certainly took a lot from the Lean Startup by Eric uh, Reese, um, some Seth Godin in there, Purple Cow and things like that. And uh, not really a business book, but good for you if you're in the business space is a book by Austin Kleon called uh, Steal Like an Artist, which is like really easy to read and really inspiring. So, oh, that that that's my list. So there, we did your Christmas shopping for you, everybody. Um, we will link to those in the show notes. Faisa, we're talking about business books because you spoke to someone who has added to the Pantheon. So who did you speak to and why did you want to? That's right. I spoke with Sean Canungo, a new author of The Bold Ones and also my friend. Um, And I wanted to speak to him because, you know, ever since he got into the world of innovation and disruption, probably about, you know, 
some 10 years ago. Um, I catch a lot of his content online about experimentation and rapid innovation and the pace of change. And I thought it was really interesting that he went super old school and wrote a physical book. Um, and so I wanted to chat with him about that. And I wanted to hear about his journey and his experience and why the heck he wanted to write a book. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very fun conversation, so it, you, you should listen to it. Here's Faisa's conversation with Sean Canungo, author of The Bold Ones, Innovate and Disrupt to Become Truly Indispensable. This week on Bloom, I am extra lucky because I get a sit down with keynote speaker, disruption specialist, new, brand new author, and my good pal, Sean Canungo. Sean, how you doing? I am fantastic. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. This is it. This is the podcast. Listen, Ma anything to do with Mac mail, any halo that has to do with Mac mail, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I, you know, uh, I love what Taproot's been doing. I, I, I've been loving this podcast, obviously, obviously, because, you know, I spent my ent entire career in this innovation space and this whole thing is about innovation. So, and just the pleasure to speak with you. And I know we have some amazing um, conversations just between us, like just over coffee. So this is like, this is going to be like a coffee session that we 100%. normally have. A hundred percent. And you know, you asked me before we started um, how things are going with this podcast. And I told you that, like, honestly, this is the easiest thing I've ever done because Mac and Karen, they do all the hard work. I just come in and, and babble a little bit and then get to talk to people that I already love talking to and some that I had yet to, to meet and uh, have had the opportunity to meet because of this podcast. So to me, it's like, you know, I just, you just couldn't ask for a better project to be a part of. So I'm glad to have yeah. you here. Um, you're right. If we didn't have this conversation over this podcast, it would have been over coffee because you've been up to a lot of really interesting things. And you're the first person I know to write a nonfiction book. Uh, I know a couple of other fiction authors. Well, you um, know Omar Mawalam, but yeah. Well, yes. But you know what? Omar, he's on a, he's on a higher level. So I pretend like I don't know him. You know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not <laughs> as lucky. He is on be, a higher level. <laughs> yeah. I'm not in the realm yet of Omar, but I, I am lucky enough to be in your realm. So, yes, yes. so first of all, I told you this is not going to be a, I'm not going to ask you to do a book promo tour, but I do want to talk about the book. Cause I think first of all, Congratulations. Yeah. Like what an accomplishment. How, tell me how long have you been working on this thing and how have these first couple of days of being in market? Cause we're, we're two days post release when we're recording yeah, this. So yeah, yeah. tell me how you feel. Wow. Well, first of all, before I get into this, I want you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That's, that, that does a lot. And But most importantly, like subscribe to Taproot. Uh, they're putting some amazing um, uh, content out there and, you know, per, you know, support local. So that, that, that's the most important thing. And um, to me, now to me, um, it's been un unbelievable. It's been surreal. It's been sensational. Like um, to have something out in the world that people can touch and feel and, and read. And it's like, imagine having your own brain being distributed around the world. And now people are consuming it. They have something tangible that they can point to. It's like, this is Sean's brain right here. It's like the most surreal experience ever. And I was shook. I was literally shook when um, I announced that the book was out and the flood of people that 
uh, came in with congratulations. But most importantly, like the people that bought the book and they messaged me, they sent me pictures around the book and how they're loving the book and how they couldn't put it down. Um, holy crap. So I'm, I'm grateful and I'm on cloud nine, um, you know, when it comes to this whole process so far. Okay. So tell me about that process because, you know, my, my dream is to, um, write a book, but I don't have the focus to actually sit down and write one, nor do I really have a topic yet to talk about, but tell me about the process. Like when did, how did this thing start and how long does it take to actually get a book out there? So it started a number of years ago. It actually started pre-pandemic when I wanted to shop around a particular idea that I had. And it was really around, you know, I've been obsessed with this idea. I know we talk about it a ton, that this power shift happening from institutions to individuals, the idea that we're sort of in this age of the individual. Like I've been so super passionate about this this topic and I wanted to uh, float around. Of course, you know, one of the things that helps is that I do all these keynotes and presentations and, and that's that helps. But um I think the first step for me was actually putting together an idea, uh, putting together a bit of a my own like book proposal. So that was that was step one. Once you have that, um it was just like trying to find a literary agent. So going through like um my own particular network, doing some like cold outreach around, you know, people that you seen published and, you know, looking at their literary agents. And, um, so I got introduced a whole bunch of folks, but ultimately I actually ended up choosing somebody that I actually cold emailed, um, a while back. And then, um, he really liked the the idea. He's, he kind of gave me some ideas, uh, back. And then the pandemic happened, came back to him and said, Hey, listen, I want to go forth with this idea. We, we worked on the concept for, months and months until he actually, his name is Connor Eck. He's a literary agent at Lucinda Literary. He actually pitched it internally. They said, yeah, this is an amazing concept. And then we worked on this proposal, this book proposal for months, another number of months, like working out this full flesh book proposal before getting to auction. You have all these meetings with uh, the publishers and then they go to auction saying, you know, at Friday at this time, you know, we want all the offers in and then you get all the offers and now you're choosing between all the offers. And then I ended up choosing um, through the auction process, McGraw-Hill, mostly because of the publisher and I mean the editing publisher. And then, you know, they gave, I signed that deal in December. The the book was due in April. And so, you know, they, the, the literary agent, and the publisher, you know, cooked me up with like some folks um, and we went to work. Um, obviously, a lot of it was written because of, you know, I've been doing these keynotes and stories and like millions of YouTube videos and and pulling stories from there. But um, that's the process. Wow, that that is very cool. And um, it's similar to like what a lot of folks would go through with um, raising capital. A lot of no's, a lot of no's, a lot of change this, change that. This is good, but not something I really want. And then finally, it's like the magic of not only the yes, but the yes from the right person. Because I think the two things that stood out to me in what you said was choosing the um, editing publisher and choosing the literary agent. Like those are relationships you're you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And and I think you wanted somebody to um, really be invested in the book. So my editor, Cheryl Segura, she's the editor at McGraw Hill. And you could tell on the call, like she loved the proposal. She was into it. She, she really dug it. And 
um, that's what you want. You want somebody that not only looks at this from a money perspective, but really like they really are passionate about doing it. And that makes sense, right? You're going to read a book. You're going to spend all your time like editing this book. You might as well enjoy it and really love the concept. And so um, having those um, two folks, you know, by your side to make this happen is, is um, yeah, it's a dream come true. And, and um, you know, it takes years. It, it took years to make it to make it happen, which is crazy. And it's funny because like, here we are publishing a podcast and like, we just jumped on and we can put this out like tomorrow when a book, it takes years to do yeah. <laughs> it's out there. And the scary thing is, is that you don't know how many people are going to read it or consume it. And that took years. This takes us, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And, and that's actually, you know, one of the things that I experienced when, uh, when I saw field notes, like when I saw my first product on the shelf yeah. and you know what, I remember one time I went into a cavern and I was like, Hey, I'd like to give you a sample of this new product I have. And, you know, I'd love if you'd consider uh, putting it on your menu. And the lady there was like, Oh, I already have, I've already got this. Somebody gave it to me for the holidays no as a Christmas way. present. Yeah. And she was like, and we, we finished it in two days. And I was like, wait a second, I don't know you. And I don't know that lady that gave it to you. And like what compelled somebody to pick something up when I didn't force them or they aren't like my friend from when I was five years old, you know? So I imagine that it's the same for you that like in this age of creating digital things with such ease all the time, they're, they're easy to create, but they're easy to erase. And the fact yeah. that you now have something permanent out there in the world, like that's pretty, pretty amazing. You know, you, you kind of mentioned, you kind of talked about something, which is, I don't know what people call it, the butterfly effect, or, you know, you, somebody heard it, heard of it, and then they talked to their friend about it. Um, that's been really cool. And that's actually one of the reasons why I got obsessed with video. So, so early, um, in my career, I, I found the magnetic power of video and the fact that by doing something once you can spread around the world and then you could impact people. And the coolest thing in the world is having people talk to other people about it. And then, you know, you just, you just so happened to hear about that happening. And, you know, I, like I'm on LinkedIn, like, like yesterday I was on LinkedIn and somebody, I read some comment of some other guy. He's like, yeah, somebody at my accelerator was talking about this book. I'm like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> um, so it's just, I love that. That's, that's, that's the most beautiful thing in the world when you don't expect it, but people are loving and consuming and, and enjoying what you created. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's an amazing feeling. I, I totally agree with that. Now I will say for somebody who loves to experiment, for somebody who loves to just throw your time and energy into something, see what sticks, change it, iterate, make it better, make it different. I did find it almost ironic and kind of hilarious that you chose to write a book. And <laughs> the fact that you went with one of the largest publishers, I mean, from a business perspective, I understand the decisions that you've made. I think they're all smart. They're solid. You know, I get it. But do you think people expected you to come up with something so traditional? My belief is that when everything is so fast, I think there's like a pendulum all the time when it comes to business, technology, innovation, when everything is fast and easy and transactional and seamless, um, I actually believe that we have so over-vectored on one side of things that actually doing something slow and traditional and boring and just tangible can actually create disproportionate value. 
So I believe that, yes, you should have digital and you should have videos and this podcast and like other ways of doing things, which I, which I've totally done and I love, and I still love doing, I'm doing all the time, TikTok videos and all that kind of stuff, which I love, um, that actually you get more value from doing the slow things. I've been contemplating about making a company which is called like the slow company, which is like where everything is just slow. Everything is just, and and, and it makes sense when things are like awe-inspiring and memorable and magical and tangible and tactical. Um, I think that gets disproportionate value. So to me, doing something um, like that is, to me was interesting. And also doing something that almost like you kind of, need to go through the the pain and the scars of of going through if you want to be in this game of thought leadership which is which is putting out a book and doing that in a way that um I want to feel it right so to me maybe the next one you know we go and and do something super super disruptive and and I don't know what that might be just like do something in the metaverse and I I don't know what that is but um at least for the first one, doing something that's slow was, uh, I actually enjoyed the process. Good, good. You know, I, and so I like that you say that because, um, you know, even for me working on, on in front of a computer all day long, having things be digital, having things be like really easy to click out of and shut off and separate from, uh, it also feels like it's not permanent and, you know, holding something in your hand that you've created uh, there's a permit. It's it's an archive, right? It's a record of of a place in your life at a certain time, and you know I actually heard you talk about this in, um, you know, as I was scrolling on one of my platforms that I don't remember which one, but I I stopped. I always stop when I see Sean Canungo on the screen, but this time I stopped, and you said something that I 100% believe in, and a friend of mine always tells me, and I don't make time for is like the the value in wasting time. And yeah. I'm not saying that writing a book or making a product is wasting time, but slowing down and doing something that takes a long time allows for negative space in your brain. And it allows for creativity in a different way than you're used to. And, you know, there I read something about the fact that uh, our generation spends 30 minutes less or 30 less than 30 minutes a day cooking. And the generation before us used to spend an hour and a half per day on average cooking. And that physical act of like being in front of ingredients and a chopping board and a stove and all that, imagine what it does for creating space in your brain um, and allowing you to slow down. And I don't know if this is the premise of Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, because I haven't actually slowed down enough to read that whole book, but I know it's one of the most phenomenal books. Everybody says it, but I think there is this like magic that happens when you do things very quick and very slow. Uh, kind of together. I, I say this in my keynotes, which is like, for the first time in your life, someone will is going to ask you the question, can we embrace a little waste? And what I, what I mean by waste is that I believe in this embrace waste theory. This is a theory that I came up with, which is that in a highly digital environment, creating like extraordinary high touch human experiences will result in disproportionate value. And the, it's idea that, like I would say that Field Notes, it's a very wasteful experience, but that's great. Actually, you should enjoy field notes when you are with your friends, when you're hanging out, when you're, when you're sitting there and just enjoying the, the, that's actually, you're wasting your time and you should enjoy it. Actually wasting your time, um, is great. 
That's where you explore, you play, you build trust and relationships, and we should waste more of our time. And so I believe in the idea of things that are meaningful, magical, and memorable. And I think Field Notes is a, is a perfect example of a wasteful product. You don't need yeah. it, no. but you should have it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And it's kind of like this idea that we've become like over efficient with our calendars and our time and this and that. And it's like, yeah, but like, where did the fun go? And when you watch kids, like I watch my nephews and I'm sure you watch your kids and you think like, wow, these people, they know how to live in the moment and embrace like this opportunity that they have of just doing what they're doing right now. And they don't care about the next thing till they care about it. Like I remember one of my nephews, you know, he'd be playing in the evening and then all of a sudden he would just stop and be like, I'm ready for bed. And it's like, oh, okay, you acknowledge that you're tired because you don't have all these other things that you're trying to do except for feel what you feel. Like I feel, I wake up, I feel hungry, I feel this, I feel that. Yeah. And you go on with your day and we don't do that anymore. So I do think this idea of like wastefulness uh, is necessary. We've got to bring it back. And Love maybe that's it. the theme. Of, that's 2023. Yeah. Waste, waste your time. Waste, waste your, your time. There you go. There you go. Well, okay, let me ask you a question then. So, okay, I have two questions actually. One is a, is a promotional question. So I have not bought your book yet. Okay. Yeah. And it's not because I don't want to, and I'm not going to, I am going to, and I'm very excited for you to have this book out there, but I have the tab open in Amazon to make the purchase. And I've had it open for days because I was even going to pre-order it, but I wanted to wait to ask you if you could choose where I buy this book from, where should I buy it from? First of all, I know you, and uh, I think you'll enjoy the Audible book. So I, <laughs> I would say wait till December 27th, and then you will have the Audible version, and then it's recorded by me, and it's delicious. It's gonna be, it's gonna be just ear ice cream. It's gonna be amazing. So I would, I would recommend you get it there. But um, I, I'm always like a proponent of bookstores and walking in, and you know, being able to. Um, browse and waste your time and buy yeah. mine and buy something else. Like to me, that's like probably the best way. So, um, you know, during the holiday season, when you're like boxing day, when you're out shoppers, you have the chapters, you have the indigo, whatever, just like walk in and, um, you know, pick up the book, uh, pick up the book then don't, you, you don't have to go on Amazon, pick it up okay. then. There's okay, no good. I like that. Waste your time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to waste it. Well, and you know, because the thing is, I do borrow a lot of books from the library or buy a lot of ebooks and things like that. But the way I find books is by going into bookstores and looking at a cover. Like I am, I do judge a book by its cover and I do like the cover of your book. Um, so I, yes. I will buy it based on that. But you know, with field notes, like from an alcohol perspective, one of the things I tell people when they ask me, where should I buy this? I say, just go to whatever's most convenient. And if they don't have it, ask them to bring it in. Because for the store, that's that's a sales tactic for me to get into more stores. Mm, Can I do idea. that with you? Like if I went into a bookshop and they didn't have it, could I say, hey, I want to buy this book by Sean Canungo? I guess so. I think so. I like I'm, you know, I'm such a rookie yeah. at the game that I have no idea, actually. And okay, well, Glass, honest, Glass Bookshop. Glass Bookshop should be carrying this book right? in Edmonton. They should, don't you think? Oh, to be honest with you, I've never heard of Glass Bookshop in my life. Oh, it's an amazing I, bookstore. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Ask them. I'm such a rookie. I'm learning. I don't know anything about this space at all. I literally cool. like email my editor from McGraw-Hill. I'm like, uh, can I ask you another dumb question? Um, so yeah. So yeah, please ask your okay. local bookstore. That's a good idea. 
Okay, there you go. Because, you know, and I like that you ask your publisher dumb questions because I think that my favorite time is when I'm the dumbest person in the room because you're allowed to ask questions that other people have been probably dying to ask, but because they're supposed to know the answer already, they're not going to ask it. So it gives us freedom that we can ask whatever we want. And uh, it's pretty awesome. So, okay, so then that's that. So everybody should waste their time and go to a bookstore, look for the book. If they don't have it, request it. And then uh, waste time coming back to yes. buy it when it's when it's when it arrives. So yeah, okay, okay. So final question because I've taken up a lot of your time, and I know you'll give me as much time as I ask for because you're that kind of guy. But last question: thinking about the lessons in your book, thinking about Edmonton and where we're at as a city, where people are at here, because we both love this city. We both could have left it anytime we wanted, but we didn't because uh, we love it here. We love the people. We love a lot of things about it. What should people do in Edmonton in 2023 to embrace their boldness? Love it. Love it. I, I'm also going to go on a tangent when it comes to innovation in Edmonton sure. um, for, for two seconds. I'm going to, I'm just going to um, flame everybody for a second. Um, I think, I think when it comes to embracing our boldness here in Edmonton is to really understand the, uh, the, the, the ability to, um, not only be bold, but how to tell people how we're bold, right. To show off, to share stories, uh, to build a narrative around what we are doing. There's a, there's a chapter in my book around disrupting a culture, which is doing something so awe inspiring that, that the, that the world can't not see it, right. Do something so awe inspiring that, um, you literally are creating a narrative of what you're doing. You're creating your own world. And here in Edmonton, we haven't done a great job at creating our own um, narrative and our own little world. So how do we build something that's more viral than maybe even in what we're actually building? And so to me, um, I have this piece in my book around, you know, build something more viral than your product, which is the idea of like, you know, Yes, you have a product. Yes, you have a service. But how do you how do you get people to know about it and understand it and really feel it and live it? And so that's my advice on how we can be bolder um, and get other people to know that we're bold. And on that note, I think one one of the things that we are really good at at Edmonton is like being great communists. Like we love being so democratic and we love being so like spread the wealth and spread the love and like we need to disproportionately invest our time and resources into a couple winners. What I mean is like, you need a LeBron, you need a LeBron James. The reason why LeBron James is a magnet is because not only is he good, but like everything centers around him. And what happens is that he's able to build teams. He's able to build championships around him. You look at Drake, Drake, you know, put Toronto on the map. And then, you know what, Drake put on everybody else, right? You know, The Weeknd and all these different artists came around Drake. Like he created the ecosystem. So you need a juggernaut to create an ecosystem. And the problem with Edmonton is that we've been so, I don't know, like we want to spread everything. Like don't spread anything. Build a ma- build a magnet. So build something so awe-inspiring that somebody could be like, hey, she did it here. And I can do it here too. Like we should put field notes and get everybody in the city to like 
to 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 buy to know this story because it's an unbelievable innovation story and put all our resources into that because that's going to inspire my daughter or the next person or you know whoever else to build something too and that's the problem is that we've totally misinterpreted how to create innovations and what we forgot in this whole thing is really that innovation is largely largely based on status once somebody does something that's awe-inspiring, other people want to do that too. So the best way of creating more innovations is showing the innovators, right? That's what we've forgotten. It's a radical idea, but we just like, we just need to understand it. Yeah. You know, I, you're, you're so right. It's a radical idea, but it's kind of an obvious one too, when you break it down like that. It's, it's about, um, you know, something I used to say before, kind of when I was in my economic development days is like, if you're not going to get invited to the party, start another party and be the party that everybody wants to be at and can't get into. And I think creating like a magnet, as you call it, or like some sort of exclusivity or, you know, this, this idea that like, we don't actually want everybody here. We only want this type of person or we want like, not in terms of like, you know, who you are as a person, but in terms of your, your vision and your, your um, desire to build something great. Like we're not actually calling everybody to come here. What we're saying is like, there are people here that have done something amazing and we're going to shout from the rooftops about it. And because of that, you're going to want to know like, where, where's this? Oh, I've heard of this company or this thing or yes. this person or whatever. Where are they from? What, what, how do I get there? How do I be around them? How do I get in their network and in their circle? I guess I got to go to Edmonton. Um, and so, yeah, I think like we, we do, we do really kind of push, I wouldn't say mediocrity because I think we're doing a lot of really amazing things here, but like, w- like humility in, in the worst way, you know, and uh, I don't think it's doing anybody any favors. So, uh, so I'm glad you're being bold. Well, there's, there's so many people that are part of this system of innovation within Edmonton and um, in Alberta, and they're all about like, it's just, I, I just don't think that we are investing our time and our resources, our energy in the right places. We're doing it in a very like government bureaucratic way. We have to be completely irrational when it comes to doing this. And the irrational play is to do something that's really awe-inspiring. And um, you can learn more about it in The Bold Ones um, out right now. (laughs) Okay, perfect. That's exactly what I was going to tell you to end on. The Bold Ones by Sean Caningo. We're going to go into every bookstore and we're going to ask for it. And obviously people are already following you on every platform, but I think my favorite to follow you on is TikTok. Is that where you want people to follow you? So, so first of all, don't follow me. First of all, th- this is very important. Don't follow me, okay? Follow this podcast. Follow, but most importantly, not even this podcast. Go and subscribe to Taproot Edmonton, okay? Not only are they putting some amazing content together, but you should see them on election night. They do the best coverage out of anybody uh, that I've ever seen. So follow them, subscribe to them, take out your wallet and do that. And then once you are finished with that, then you can come and 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 find me anywhere on TikTok, probably on LinkedIn and, and other places. And um, you can find me there. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, joining me. I always love talking to you. And um, nice. I'm sure we'll have lots more conversations once I buy the paper copy and the Audible copy uh, during the holiday break. Amazing, amazing. Thank you.
So this book seems to be aimed maybe a little bit more at the entrepreneur than the entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurs would get something out of it, but it seems to be talking to employees who want to innovate from within. I, I looked at the look inside on, on Amazon, haven't bought the book yet, but there's a quote in the first chapter that says, you aren't just a small cog in the wheel of your company's future. You may be the solution to their survival. So what do you think of aiming at that audience? Uh, I think it's an interesting audience because I definitely think there's more entrepreneurs than there are entrepreneurs. Um, and I think we need that balance, obviously. Everybody, you know, especially in the infancy of where you are as a company or maybe the reinvention of where you are as a company, you kind of want to to nurture those people and have them rise to the top and have them you know, try to figure out how they can make a really big difference in your company. So I think it's a good audience. I don't, I haven't read too much that's specifically aimed at that audience. So from a, from a trying to find a blue ocean, um, you know, to quote another business book that I actually do like blue ocean strategy. <laughs> um, I would say that that's, that's a good audience to go after in terms of not much being written specifically for them. What do you think of the advice to be bold and disruptive from the inside? I, uh, the, what came to mind for me is I, I've been that person trying to innovate from within and uh, it's not that fun and lots of people get mad at you all the time. Yeah. I, and I know you as that person because uh, that's kind of the, the way that I started it, admiring your work some, you know. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to say 20 years ago because that makes me realize that I've been working for 20 years but uh, it was about 20 years ago yeah. and um so I think yeah it is super frustrating I think there's good and bad to that advice the bad is sometimes you really are just a small cog and actually mm -hmm. no one cares about you and you just need to do your job um so I think that can be frustrating for somebody with that advice but I also think it it, it truly is important it's not fun but you also have to know how to pick and choose when being that person is actually going to uh, satiate your curiosity and your um, your fire, you know. And so I, I know I've been that person when I've had nobody supporting me in the organization, and that really sucks. But then I've also been that person when someone in a position of authority has also had that same spirit and has kind of acted as my blocker, you know, like, in, I don't know what the football analogy, but there's the, the person that runs in front of the person running with the ball and hits every yeah. and blocks everybody, that yeah. person. So I think you need one of those and being aware of all the personalities and players in your company uh, is important. Also good to remember it because you and I are now in positions where we're the boss or the boss of other people. Uh, you, you don't want to tamp down that creativity and that desire to make things better. If you have somebody working for you who cares so much that they want to, you know, speak up and say, why don't we do it this way instead of that way? Like that, that's a precious thing that should be nurtured and not s snuffed out. Yeah. And if, and I mean, if we get really, uh, you know, deep into it, I think you could probably, I don't know if you could do this in your career, but I can definitely do it in my career where the people that have been the most stifling to that or the most uh, unhappy about that kind of, of nurturing that kind of attitude are the people who are a little bit insecure about their contribution to the company. Uh, and I always say like, great leaders are not always great doers, right? So just because you're great at doing the thing doesn't mean you should be the leader of the people doing the thing. Those are two different yeah. skill sets. And I think, you know, that's where I often struggle is like, how do you be a good leader? 
of the people doing the things. And you don't, I think that's why I like the story-based business books too, is because, you know, those are not empirical sciences that we learn in business school uh, or any school. It's kind of like a trial by fire and you make a bunch of mistakes and then you find the right way, or you look at your experiences that you've loved and hated and try to extract the good and, and minimize the bad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. You uh, you mentioned before like entering into the interview that you wanted to know uh, from Sean why he would uh, why he would do a book. He's like got a big following and in, in video and and all these things. Uh, I just find it so interesting that um, people still today derive a great amount of legitimacy from print. There's just there's something about that medium that communicates you've made it and. At least that's my thought. Is that just the old media person in me saying that or do you agree? No, I I 100% agree. I think, um, you know, it's in this day and age, it's very easy to become relevant and irrelevant, permanent and erased uh, very quickly, right? The second I scroll past you, what you said no longer exists in in my view. Mm. And I also think that we're being taught to communicate in such short and polarizing ways now because we're trying to get attention. And so I think this idea of being in print is like a commitment to your idea and your idea might not be right. Like, I mean, I know, you know, Matthew Walker who wrote the book, uh, why we sleep, he went and did a bunch of podcasts after saying, Hey, my research, my eyes, I was wrong. And I want to correct myself and I want to allow myself to be wrong because that's what scientists do. And I thought that was really interesting because you can, just because you put something in writing doesn't mean it's correct. It means it's an idea and a way that you're thinking about something at a specific point in time with the information that you have. And so I think for people to, first of all, for people to want to spend the time to write that down um, gives them that legitimacy, but then also someone else buying their idea and committing to that idea. So if I listen, you know, if I think back on what Sean was saying, the amount of people that had to believe in his concept to make it real, that to me it it is kind of a signal that you're you've made it because you can convince that many people to stick with you on a journey for that much money and that much time. So yeah. so yeah, I think I think it is still a sign that that you've made it and maybe some uh form of legitimacy to to the way you think or what you contribute to to the world. Mhm. Any other thoughts about Sean Canungo and the bold ones? No, but I mean, well, one one other thought, because now that he mentioned the audiobook, I am a bit torn. I don't generally read audiobooks. I don't have the attention span for them. I need the physical book to be in front of me to force force my eye and brain to stay on task. But I am curious now because he is very animated. He mm-hmm. is a great speaker. Um, maybe I'll buy them both. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> support people. So so yeah, and I'm curious what other people think. You know, I'm I I'm curious. I'm always curious about what people think about. Uh, anything. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, I wonder if he just reads it straight or whether he riffs on it, because when you see him speak, he's not reading from a teleprompter or, or memorizing a speech. He speaks very confidently, extemporaneously. And so I wonder whether he stays in the box or goes outside. I guess it would be in keeping with the bold ones if he went outside. That's right. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll take a break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll highlight a couple of other innovation-related items that Taproot has looked into recently. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's a message from our sponsor. 
Every solution starts with an idea. At Edmonton Unlimited, we're here to help you build that idea into a thriving business. We offer free foundational programs like Business Model 101 and Discover and Validate, where you'll learn the basics of entrepreneurship and how to map out each element of your business model. Then you'll be ready to understand where your customers are and how to validate and build out that idea. Along the way, you'll be connected with like-minded problem solvers and get hands-on support from experienced facilitators. Register today and start your entrepreneurial journey with our foundational programs and more at edmontonunlimited.com. This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you're calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. So before we head into the holiday break, let's take a look at a couple of Tabbridge stories that I think our audience would find interesting. Uh, Amy, the Alberta Machine Institute, Machine Intelligence Institute, uh, and New Harvest announced this week that they're going to be working together to see how AI and machine learning can be applied to cellular agriculture. This is funded by Schmidt Futures. Schmidt is Eric Schmidt, who's to uh, be the CEO of Google. And it will involve a survey of all the various ways that AI and ML could help advance the production of lab-grown food. And then uh, there's gonna, they're going to uh, appoint a research fellow who will belong to both New Harvest and Amy, uh, who will pursue one of the ideas in, the, in that survey. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it's an awesome collaboration. Uh, I think cellular agriculture and uh, machine intelligence and machine learning are so new still to people. Like I think that what's possible in those fields is still being defined. And so having those two organizations work together to help figure that out makes sense. Um, Also really supports the idea that uh, AI and ML is an enabling platform and a, and a, and a horizontal, no matter how much certain funders try to make it seem like a vertical. Um, mm-hmm. And so I like that there's this cross between something really tangible, which is, you know, food and something intangible, which is cells and machine and machine learning. So interesting. I like this idea of a survey for figuring out what's possible because it just kind of supports the idea that we don't know what we don't know yet. And one mm-hmm. of the things we don't know yet is what's possible. So that's a very circular way of me kind of saying that. but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I gather from looking at the New Harvest um, website that there are there there is work being done in this field. Um, for example, using machine learning to kind of understanding how to optimize the growth medium in which you grow these cells that become uh, food. So, uh, but pulling it all together in one place. Uh, we're big fans of that at Taproot. It obviously, it seems like a very sensible thing to do. Um, so yeah, it's it, just to to have in one place what's going on and then figure out, oh, let's pursue that. That sounds interesting. Uh, I spoke to Isha Datar, the executive director of New Harvest, and she told me that she's really interested in the next year in making Edmonton more of a center for cellular agriculture. 
like she's based here, but the organization's research fellows and staff are all over the world. The conference that they held this year was in New York. Uh, so I kind of found it interesting that she wants to Edmonton it up a little bit more. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, well, I've gotten to know Isha a little bit uh, over the past little while, and she's definitely an aspirational person with some really exciting ideas about where food can go. I think, you know, what I see with, with this is kind of what we see with a lot of Edmontonians. It's like you learn here, you kind of have your base here, you grow up here, and then you you find an idea and you let it take it take you wherever it's going to take you. But then at some point, people something happens in someone's life that makes them come back here. So either it's raising a family. Uh, in Isha's case, it was family and the pandemic. Um, so there's always like some sort of moment that brings people back. And I think it's such an opportunity for us to then be able to keep those people and have them do amazing things here, taking what they've learned elsewhere. And so Edmontoning it up is always a good thing. And I like that she's not limiting the reach to just Edmonton, but rather keeping a base here. I think the more of those we have here, the more interesting people we can attract uh, to Edmonton or to participate in some of the, the great things that are happening here. So I'm I'm always a fan of people who leave and come back. Yeah, that's right. An Edmonton company that we've mentioned a few times on the show, but haven't done a story on until now is Swift Charge. So we decided to send Stephanie Dubois to talk to founder and CEO Zhang-Yi Quan uh, after a very busy year of going through a couple of accelerators and making some sales and now uh, fundraising for some investment. Um, if you have been wondering what this company actually does, there is a bit more of an explanation in the story, which we'll link to. But the essence of it is that they're making it possible to have a multi-vehicle charger outside of your building without digging up all of the electrical infrastructure so that you can upgrade it to support that kind of like pull on the electricity and then they charge you the business owner or institution a subscription or a revenue share which they say is going to um, result in the average charger being profitable for swift charge in about 2.5 years and the the roadmap and the vision that Zhang Yi has has laid out uh, it, it indicates to that he thinks that swift charge could be a billion dollar company by 2030 uh, what do you think well, you mentioned a few episodes ago that um, that you you finally understood what Swift Charge is about when you heard um, the pitch at Startup TNT. And I mm -hmm. think and reading the Taproot uh, article, it's like, yeah, I totally get now what they're doing and why this is such a, a big thing. And um, I love the confidence they have around their roadmap. But, you know, not to you know, spoiler alert, it's, you know, I love where Zhang Yi says it's not a hardware or a software issue. It's a, it's a grid issue. And just thinking about it in that sense, like this model makes so much sense to me. Um, and I'm really excited about what they're doing. I, I, I think he's going to have a lot of fans and uh, a lot of people in his corner kind of trying to help make things happen. And I'm also interested in this, this, this is kind of a tangent, but I'm really interested in this partnership between Foresight Canada and Startup TNT, because I've kind of tangentially heard about Foresight over the last few years. And um, I wonder if this partnership is going to result in some better visibility for some of our Edmonton companies, but also maybe a little bit more of Foresight's ideas and thinking uh, here in our market. So I just thought mm -hmm. that was kind of cool. Yeah, well, we'll get a, a, a bit more of a sense of that next year with the Clean Tech Investment Summit and ongoing uh, collaborations that they're all involved in. 
this is the last bloom for 2022. Uh, are you going to be able to to recharge yourself, so to speak, without plugging into an actual device? Well, maybe, I don't know. Uh, relax and recharge heading into the break? Uh, I hope so. Uh, everyone I've spoken to is kind of feeling the same way that things have really ramped up these last few months and it feels like we've all been operating at uh, 100 miles an hour. So I'm hoping to relax. And I think at the very least, you know, I, I will I will use this time for catch up, but uh, hopefully not, you know, the kind of full days that we've all been used to. So I hope so. And I hope I hope you are as well. Yeah, definitely on uh, on my roadmap is uh, a lot of nothing is what I'm hoping. <laughs> Uh, listeners, we will be back in your podcatcher on January 5th. Uh, Taproot Edmonton's taking a break too. So the last pulse of the year will be on December 19th. That's so we can catch you up on the final decisions that city council made, uh, in their budget deliberations. We will return with the full complement of newsletters and daily stories on January 3rd. And, uh, if you have not done so, please subscribe to our sister podcast, Speaking Municipally, because sometime during the break, Break, uh, Troy and Mac will will uh, drop their famous Jeopardy episode, and you do not want to miss that. So uh, make sure, speaking municipally. Well, that's it for this week and this year. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker, and our cover art is by Vicki Wierczynski. Bye. 